I guess, you know, sort of having the humility to realize that you were wrong, um, but then balancing the humility, you know, you don't have to be a wimp. Um, you can say, hey, you know, that sucked, but what, am, what can I take from this that I can use to go forward? And I'm not saying, you know, I think sometimes when people see it in a movie, like <laughs> they imagine that they need to get over things like super quickly, but you know, I mean, there's all kinds of negative things that can befall you and you, you know, you're not required to get over them before the next scene. It's not a movie. You, know, you are you are allowed to you know have a, like a little momentary crumble and a, and a good cry if that's what you need, but then just like say okay you know I'm gonna th this happened and now I'm gonna like regroup and think about you know like what went wrong. A lot of it is just not building things into being too serious because I, I think that that's part of that like falling into kind of a negativity trap where you build the failure into more than what it is. It, and the, and it's two sides of the same coin where, you know, the, that problem is the opposite side of the problem that forced me into bankruptcy, you know, because that was not a negative overstep. It was a positive overstep. I, I thought I was too good. That's Tim Fargo, and I'm Brian Falchuk. The Do A Day Podcast. Will you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned. I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers. Welcome to another episode of the Do A Day podcast. My guest today is Tim Fargo. For those who don't know Tim, you may not be on Twitter. For those who are on Twitter, you may very well know Tim. He's got a huge following because every, I say every day, but uh, it's quite a bit more frequent than that. He posts out some just really inspiring content, really great uh, quotes from different leaders and experts and authors and all kinds of different people um, multiple times a day. And if you watch this happening, you're like, you know, how is this guy able to do that and live his life? Because that's like a full time job. The way he's able to do that is through a tool that he built when he was promoting a book that he wrote, and uh, it's called Social Jukebox. And I found Tim because I found Social Jukebox, and just through using it and having some questions and reaching out to the company, uh, Tim wrote back. He's a, he's a very involved leader, involved uh, support person. He did, like he cares about his product so much that it's him that's responding to every customer service response. Um, and I was, I was really impressed by that, but I was also so impressed by the content he puts out. And then I started to look into his story and, uh, I mean, he will, he'll tell it in his own words, but it's really interesting. The way that social jukebox came to be was kind of serendipitous. It wasn't what he was working on. He was promoting his book and just needed a better way to, uh, to get his tweets out and to handle all that his social media promotion. And like any good idea, when the need is real, the uh, the solution oftentimes presents itself when you're not really expecting it, and it's usually a good one. But Tim's not always about success. He had a uh, a pretty hard stumble earlier in his career that he'll talk to us about that landed him in bankruptcy, and we'll talk about why that happened. Um, it was interesting to me. Uh, I got this email from him about his story, and he said, 
you know, when you find yourself waking up in the morning, going to donate blood for cash because you don't have any money, that kind of wakes you up and gives you a dose of humility that you need. Um, so that that is a, quite a picture to paint and really sets the stage for the growth journey that Tim was on that led him down a totally different path and uh, to becoming a different person. And, and humility is really at the heart of that. So we'll get into the episode with Tim Fargo and we'll learn some more about humility and bankruptcy and social jukebox and the lessons that he's learned so that we can do better ourselves. Hey, Tim Fargo, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Glad to be here. So you are an interesting guest for me because I've been consuming what you put out there, not just, uh, well, on two sides. One is, is your product, Social Jukebox, that has been a huge help for me as an author. Um, and I know that's kind of the story behind how it was born, and we'll get into that. But also, uh, it's, it's kind of funny. I was watching your tweets, and you put out a ton of just really inspirational kind of pick you up and, and charge you forward content. And uh, little did I know the two things were coming from the same person. It was only when I when I needed some help on something from Social Jukebox and you emailed me back. And I was like, wait a second, that's the same guy that I've been following and being inspired by. So it's very cool for me to have you here. Well, I'm glad to be here and um, I'm glad if I've been of some service. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you... You're doing a lot right now, but obviously there's a whole story behind that. Can you give us kind of the nutshell of what's going on in your world today? And then I want to dig into what got you there what and what inspired you into the current position you're in. Well, right now I run a business um, that you alluded to, um, Social Jukebox, which is an automated um, content posting service for social media um, that posts to Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, and that business... Uh, you know, which we can get into in a bit, um, kind of started by accident. But I had sold a business in 2003 um, and made a nice windfall off the sale of that. Um, and like a lot of people, I thought, you know, I'll kick back and hang out and won't do anything. But there's all kinds of problems with that that people don't necessarily anticipate, myself included. Um, and so, you know, I originally went back to, um, I, I came out with a book and I was trying to promote that book and, um, anyhow, and then through a variety of circumstances, um, <laughs> I ended up not promoting the book. I ended up promoting social jukebox and it's been great. I mean, it's a been a really interesting experience, but yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing right now. So that, that variety of circumstances that led to social jukebox being the thing, I definitely want to get into that, but let's rewind the story before all that story is where, you know, you had the successful business, but I know there's a whole piece before that, that was a lot rockier. So take us through, you know, what, what were you doing? How did that end up? And where did that leave you in life? Well, I mean, let's go back to, you know, I graduated college and, um, I started an event marketing company and the actual business was going pretty well, but um, I fell victim to something that I think takes a lot of people down. And as I started believing my own PR, yeah. um, and, and a second piece is nature of that particular business. You know, when you get a contract for an event, I mean, even if it's a hundred thousand dollar contract, which sounds awesome on the face of it, I mean, it's just an invitation to do a job. You know, I mean, it's a long, it's a far cry from 
you know, actually receiving money. You know, you've got to go do work and send invoices and collect them, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, having somebody go, hey, we're hiring you to do this, you know, extravagant weekend extravaganza at our shopping center. That sounds awesome. Um, and it is awesome. I mean, that's the first step. Right. But I was kind of celebrating um, <laughs> in the earlier phases of that yeah. cycle rather than in the later. Um, and that led um, to me going bankrupt uh, because oh. I was the business was going well. I was getting lots of orders. People were saying lots of nice things. We were getting a lot of press. Um, and so, you know, I thought, wow, I'm, I'm it. Yeah. And, uh, I was out partying and doing all kinds of fun stuff and just thinking, you know, all I'm going to, I'm going to be rocking it so hard. I'll be able to just kind of outrun this like wave of debt that I was kind of building up behind me. Um, but I ended up getting engulfed in it and, uh, so you're living on the story instead of the actual delivery. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot to be said for spending the money when you've actually got it in your hand. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I mean, that's a lesson that I could have only learned that way. But I mean, I went from thinking I was king of the world or whatever to standing in a bankruptcy court in Orange County, California, surrounded by some people that look like a casting call for the Jerry Springer show. Um, so, uh, I didn't feel quite so elite Yeah, <laughs> at, at that moment. Um, it's a wake up know, call. It was a wake up call and it was great though, in a way, because, you know, it really just stripped away all the veneer of, well, you know, you can think you're cute and everything else. And well, you know, you'll come out of this too, but there was something, I mean, I'm making light of it with the whole Jerry Springer comment. But, yeah. Um, it, it was a very sobering moment for whatever reason. I mean, I really remember standing there and going, well, you know, now where are you, hotshot? Yeah. Um, and and that, that made a pretty lasting impression. So wh what was life like at that point? Like, is this just the business was bankrupt or this is you personally? Ah, uh, the two were so heavily intertwined. Yeah. You know, I mean, like a lot of um, solopreneurs, I mean, I was getting other people to do something. I mean, there was no, like, from my perspective, even at the time, there was no point to have a staff because, you know, events are all unique and everyone has its own kind of needs. Um, so you just find people that are good at different things to do things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But so the, the business would have been fine. I mean, if, if I had just exercised a little, um, financial prudence, basically, um, you know, a bit of discipline, financial discipline would have, would have averted all the problems, but in a roundabout way, I mean, it was, it was really a blessing. Um, I mean, I know that maybe sounds like trite or something to say that, but you know, I didn't have a wife and kids or, you know, I didn't have anybody who, was depending upon me uh, to show up with money to feed them. Yeah. You know, the only person that was really penalized in any way was me. So, and that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't have wanted to gone through it where, you know, well, I know you really enjoying that private school you're going to Billy, but, uh, right. Right. <laughs> this year you're, you're going to be going to a different place. So nothing like that happened. No, just to say it was, uh, you know, seeing the positives in it, you know, the silver linings in the cloud, 
Did you, was that the case at the time? Where was, where were you at mentally when all this was happening? Were you sort of destitute or were you like, wow, I needed that kick in the pants and now I'm going to change? Uh, is this hindsight talking or is, was this the way you were feeling? I mean, I was, I was, I was, I was down for a few months, but I mean, not like super depressed or anything, but just, you know, I went out and found work and, you know, found a way, like, I just went and got a job. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, there was a lot of reflecting, but I would, I mean, of course, part of it's hindsight, but I would say that I pretty quickly realized just how dumb I had been. Mm. Um, and, you know, but sometimes, it, unfortunately, you know, the, the wake up call you get, um, you know, doesn't come until you've, you've left the diving board and go, ah, should have checked the pool for water. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, I didn't, I'm not a big believer in spending a lot of time beating yourself up because it, there's, there's a lot of negatives that come from that. I actually do a daily video, um, on, on Twitter and now on YouTube as well. And I just did one talking about this, how people screw themselves up by telling themselves a story where they have a failure and then they kind of write the script of their life according to that that one particular benchmark. Yeah. You know, they say, oh, well, this happened, therefore everything else I do will suck. Yeah. And I'll and I'll always be a failure. And that's and that's a really bad way to do it. And I'm not just saying that like as a Pollyanna, I'm saying it because it's just false. I mean, and I'm kind of living proof of that. I mean, I I went bankrupt and I turned around and a few years later I sold a company for $20 million. Now, a lot of stuff happened between those two events. Um, and there was some learning that needed to happen, but you know, the worst thing that you can do in my opinion is, is experience a failure and then decide that that has a lasting meaning in your life. Yeah. You're preaching the choir. I mean, that's, uh, so the, the whole position of, of my book is it's basically whether it's, it's a failure from the past or it's something you're afraid of happening in the future. You end up stuck in that definition today. And you give up all of your opportunity, all of your capability right now. You know, you see yourself permanently, permanently scarred or permanently defined by those things. And yeah, you're living proof that that's not, we both are, we're living proof that, you know, that's not the way it needs to be. Sure. All right. So you, you have a a bit of a wake up. You kind of, it sounds like you kind of needed it that, you know, if if this didn't happen, you probably would have continued on at least for some time. Um, go out and get a job. How do you, how do you turn that into, you know, you said a lot of things happened between the failure and the success and selling your company. What's, what's the path? Well, okay. So what I did, I, uh, you know, went out and got a job. And then the thing that was in my head at the time was that I was going to become an academic because I'd done really well on the GMAT and I've done really well on the LSAT and um, after graduating. And so it was be a lawyer or be a professor. And I mm-hmm. thought, well, be a professor sounds a lot more fun. Um, and so, I mean, that was the original idea. I was like, you know, I'll make pretty good money. I'll be able to hang out on campus, I'll have summers off, et cetera, et cetera. 
Um, and then I actually got into a, a, a really good PhD program at University of Arizona in consumer psychology. And what I found out was, and with all due respect to the people I met there, you know, there were a lot of great people, but there is definitely in academics an environment of I was abused and given a ridiculous workload. Therefore, you will also be abused. Yeah. And, and be given a ridiculous workload. And I remember telling my doctoral advisor, one of the people who got me in, um, that I said, you know, Chris, if I work this hard in the private sector, I, I won't, in the time it'll take me to graduate and get tenure, I'll be a multimillionaire. And I was off by like six months. Wow. Assuming, assuming everything would have gone perfectly with my academic career. So I was probably pretty much dead on. Yeah. Um, because it was just a ridiculous amount of work, et cetera. But um, so I ended up going there. It didn't really work. So then um, I started just, you know, kind of saving money and looking for opportunities. And so you dropped out of the program. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I did. I lasted a couple months. It was okay. I, I had a, I don't know the, if people appreciate this, I think it's a funny story, but um, it was the chairman of the department I had a class with, and the guy would not take questions in a class that was on research methods. So, you know, and it was kind of a cumulative lesson structure, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. if you if you didn't understand something he said in the first ten minutes, you're done. Everything everything after that was kind of yeah. Um, but he, he he wouldn't take questions. So uh, one day I'm in his class and uh, I'm dozing off. And he says, Mr. Fargo, I would appreciate it if you didn't sleep during my class. And I said, well, I'd appreciate it if you didn't make the class so boring. Um, so that <laughs> probably didn't bode well for my academic no. future either. But you didn't <laughs> so, ask him a question, at least. You just made a statement. That probably well, he, it was him confronting me. But yeah. anyhow, I, I, I realized that I wasn't really cut out for that path. Yeah. Um, so... Um, I ended up finding an opportunity with some, uh, a guy I actually met when I was traveling. Um, I'd gone and spent some time in Mexico and Central America and, um, like six months just backpacking around. And this fellow that I'd met, they, you know, him and another guy were starting an investigative company and, um, they asked me to join them, um, which at first I thought was hilarious because it was in Alabama and I was living in South beach. Um, and I thought, do you want me to leave here for there? Yeah. Pretty different situations. Very different situations. Um, but it ended up being a, a, a decent enough opportunity. I went there, I worked with them for a little while. Um, we had kind of creative differences. Um, they were doing a little bit of what I did with the event marketing thing. I mean, we would get business in and they'd be like, woohoo. Ah. And I, and I was much more of the mindset of there's no time for woohoo. We need to like make this thing big enough that it'll kind of run on its own. But, yeah. um, anyhow, that I tried to persuade them, but they thought I was basically just being a party pooper. Yeah. Um, so I left and started my own. Um, and then seven years later, I sold it. So, but in the same work in the investigative work, or did you go do something else? No, I did the same thing. I, I did the exact same business, um, insurance, uh, bodily injury claim surveillance. Um, and we pretty much did that all over the United States. Wow. Um, 
All right, so you, you probably don't know my day job is in insurance, so all of a sudden I'm like, well, we could take this in a whole different direction, but I know there is not a single listener. Maybe there's one who actually wants to hear us talk about insurance, so we'll leave that. But all of a sudden, Tim, you're in very good company. Yeah, well, I mean, and it was interesting because actually, um, you know, just talking about social media and things like that, I mean, one of the things that helped us, because, I mean, this was a business. I started an extra bedroom, right? Wow. I didn't have any I didn't have any money. Um you know, what I did have is a credit card with a pretty high limit, and that's how I paid people um, in the beginning. Um, but one of the things that really turbocharged that business is I wrote a booklet called Claimants, Lies, and Videotape, um, <laughs> a, a Claims Handler's Guide to Surveillance. And it might sound really trite, but people would give us assignments when, like, they they'd say, well, the guy's a jerk. And I'd be like, well, you know, just because a guy lacks social skill doesn't make him a fraud. Yeah. And con and conversely, just because a person's really nice to you on the phone doesn't mean that they're not lying to you. Um, so, and the whole purpose of that content, I mean, it did two things. It established a huge amount of credibility for us. Um, and it also, because I, I mean, I ended up being able to give people continuing education credits in almost every state that required them. So I was going to conferences and claims offices all over the place giving talks. Um, but then the second piece was that people, the quality of the cases we got assigned improved. Um, and that was a big deal because, um, you know, in being in that kind of business, I mean, if if someone calls a plumber for a job that should really be done by an electrician, they're they're very like if the person takes the job, they're very likely to be disappointed in the results. Um, so by more clearly defining like what they should do when they engage us, um, it made a huge impact. So anyhow, just a little pitch for when people like think about how content marketing works. That's the essence of content marketing is is letting your customer be customer be well informed so they get better value out of what you do. Yeah. All right, so you've got you've got your business, you build it up, you sell it and then Alphabet Success your book. Is that the next yeah, step? That's the next step and I actually I had the idea for that book. Um I did a couple talks at schools using a PowerPoint based on the idea 10 years before that. Um and then, you know, after I sold, I was, I did some real estate projects and like divided some land into pieces and sold it off and, you know, little dribs and drabs. But, um, one of the things I found, um, and I, and I think this happens to a lot of people, uh, you know, I got the idea from the beginning that when I sold, I had all this money. I mean, not like, you know, Jeff Bezos or anything, but enough. Nobody's uh, like Jeff Bezos. That's true. He is in a class by himself yeah. now. Um, but, you know, I thought I'd be able to just chill out. But the for me, the problem was it felt like, to use a sports analogy, and hopefully don't lose everyone on that, but um, it'd be like scoring a ton of points in a basketball game in the first quarter and then going, okay, let's just play defense for the rest of the game. Because mm. I was a pretty young guy when I sold. Um, so even if you're making decent money off your investments, it still feels like, you're just kind of playing defense. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that after a while that got to feeling a little weird. So, um, yeah, so alphabet success, um, I came out with the book. Um, and like a lot of authors, I found out that coming out with the book 
is merely the first in a very step of, in a very long process. Um, because n in today's world in particular, nobody cares that you came out with a book um, because there's so many of them um, and there's so much. I mean, the challenge now, I would say, is because of the ubiquity of publishing, the challenge is to develop trust and build an audience that's actually willing to read what you've written. Mm. Um, and I mean, that may seem like what it's always been, but previously, you know, getting shelf space or being published um, kind of drove the equation to a certain degree because you got into a distribution system, but now distribution is everywhere. Yeah. Um, so... I turned to social media to try to build this audience. And one of the things I found was that scheduling posts, from my perspective, was a colossal waste of time. Um, because it did take a fair amount of time to schedule a lot of tweets, um, which was my original platform. I've always been pretty Twitter-centric for whatever reason. Um, and I got really sick of it. I got sick of having to try to remember like what content I put out and, you know, managing spreadsheets of, of quotes, which I've been doing since I got on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and so I contacted the guy that had been the head of it. Um, Len, his name's on the website. Um, <clears throat> and said, Hey, can you build an app? And when I built it, I built it for me. I didn't have any, aspirations about turning it into a business. I just, I was just trying to solve a problem I had. Yeah. Uh, um, so he built an app, um, with an interface only a mother could love. <laughs> um, and, and it started, you know, cranking out the post and it was awesome. I mean, it saved me a bunch of time, which I used to do more curation and engagement, um, on Twitter, as opposed to just spending those hours just doing kind of uh, manual labor. Right. Took you and, out of the tactical. Right. And so what happened though is, um, you know, I'm trying to hawk my book and people are much more like, do you ever sleep? How do you do this? Mm -hmm. um, they're asking me all these questions, you know, that are basically about the software. So I realized that, you know, there's probably, I'm getting much more interested in the software without even promoting it than I am in the book, which I'm very much promoting. Um, so being at least marginally decent entrepreneur thought, maybe the, the gold is not in the authorship hills. Maybe it's in the software hills. Um, so we signed up free people and we got, um, I want to say we got up to, 15 or 20,000 free users. Mm. Um, and anyhow, so, I mean, it was super exciting, right? Yeah. You know, and it, it's really fun. You know, you feel like your idea is great. And I mean, there was a lot of initial joy. Um, and then, but then the question came, will anyone pay for this? I mean, they, they like it, but will they actually, will they pay to use it? Yeah. And um, so, you know, we put up a payment gateway. So we were quote unquote, Raymond noodle, Raymond noodle profitable. So um, what ended up happening then is I pretty much abandoned the book entirely. Man, I still post about it. Mm. Um, but then it, the challenge became like, how do I build social jukebox into a bigger thing um, and, and make it a, a you know, more than just a marginally profitable business. 
Um, and that's what I've been doing since we launched in, uh, yeah. And it's self-sustaining. Yeah, it's very self-sustaining. Um, we're, I mean, I would say that I haven't become, if I'm honest, I haven't become a, a great master of, uh, internet marketing yet. I mean, we're, we're, we're like a stable user figure, you know, yeah. we like bounce around the, the 2000 mark, um, which is a, a very nice income. I mean, I'm very happy with the business um, and I'm spending a little bit more time focusing on that now. But, um, but anyhow, the, the, I mean, I think the main thing is, uh, you know, in terms of like transformative stuff, my initial uh, my initial profitability of my book selling, um, I can tell you, I would have made 10 times that the money I made from the book if I'd just gone and worked at a drive through at McDonald's. Yeah, that sounds about uh, right. Yeah, so, <clears throat> I mean, so if, if I had just like said, well, there's nothing to this or whatever, but I stuck with it thinking, you know, something will come along um, and, you know, I'll figure this thing out. But while I was in the process of trying to figure that out, I mean, something did come along, but it just wasn't, it wasn't directly related to the book. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, as we talked about, I mean, very often, um, you know, if you, if you choose to take a failure and interpret it in a more empowered way um, and kind of use it as like, Hey, you know, it's a lesson you know, what am I learning here? You know, what can I do going forward? And, and you kind of just stay in the game. Um, some amazing things can happen. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really crucial lesson to take from this. Cause you, you know, oftentimes we go into something with a plan and sometimes we get a bit too hell bent on that plan and we miss the opportunistic things that arise that actually may be far better plans than the one we were originally set on. Sure. And I mean, I think that this happens in innumerable ways to people where, um, and, and I think there's a tendency to, like I say, I mean, either build a negative narrative because of something isn't going well, instead of just looking at it as kind of with a little bit more detachment, um, you know, like a scientist would. I mean, you don't have to necessarily be a scientist, but you can kind of role play it in your head like, okay, what what information am I am I getting here, um, and and use it that way, um, and I mean I, I say that because I'm probably as guilty as anyone of sometimes getting a little emotional when I don't know like you know I, there's someone I know who is a pretty notable business author and um, I really push this guy to at least give me kind of an endorsement and he wouldn't do it. Mm. Um, and I never got a reason either. So, but there's a part of me that was going, wow, maybe this book really sucks. Um, now having said that the book's got like eight, uh, 4.9 stars on Amazon now with, you know, 67 or 68 reviews. So, um, something yeah. has gone, has gone right. But, I mean, there's all these little things along the way that happen, like, you know, me thinking, like you said, I mean, part of my plan was I know this person and this person can give me some juice um, to help me position this book. It, but it just never happened. Yeah. And, 
And interestingly enough, um, for people that kind of believe in luck or serendipity, whatever, it's probably a blessing. Because if, for whatever reason, I'd gotten enough juice on the book sales, maybe I would have never even thought about the software business, which, from my perspective, I mean, honestly, is a a far better model for me personally, anyhow. Um, But if, if the book had just taken off, I would have gotten what I planned for, but the thing that I have now, which isn't isn't what I planned for, in my opinion, I ended up with something that's much more to my liking. Yeah. So, well, look that that seems to be the repetitive lesson coming from your life is like you know you can look at at the bankruptcy and the lesson is you know don't spend what you don't have or don't count your chickens before they hatch or however you want to phrase it. Um, and yeah, that's a lesson, but the pattern is if that didn't happen, things didn't go, you know, a, a, for a wrong turn, you wouldn't have ended up in the place where you were creating your own business that you sold that then opened a whole set of other doors. If, you know, those doors didn't quite pan out the way that you had wanted them to, then you wouldn't end up doing what you're doing now. I certainly would have a much tougher time on Twitter, so I'm, I'm thankful for your path, but that's a bit selfish. Um, you know what I mean? It's, it's the sort of, you kept yourself open to the twist in the path. What anybody listening will do is realize that things are going to happen to you. Things that you don't want to have happen to you. I mean, even if you look at, um, if you look at the rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. So what's he do? He becomes a professional wrestler. Now for most people, I mean, if you thought about that, if, you, if the story just stopped there, it's like, wow, that's a shame. The guy, the guy had, <clears throat> he actually was playing ahead. Um, the guy who filled his position was Warren Sapp, who used to play for the Tampa Bucks. So that tells you a little bit about his level of play, right? That he was playing in front of Sapp. So he ends up being a pro wrestler. Now, a lot of people go, geez, you know, that's... That's not so great. But the guy, like, he put his best effort into that, you know, he to be great at that. And then his personality kind of shined. They ended up making him kind of a premier guy. Then he ended up in the film business. And now the guy's, I believe, last year he was the highest paid actor in Hollywood. Yeah, I was just going to say that, yeah. So there were a lot of twists and turns. I mean, there was a lot of points where it's like, oh, gee, I'm, I'm injured. You know, my dream is gone. Well, I mean, it's only if your dream's only gone if you're married to that one, like if success for you can only be defined as succeeding in that one specific endeavor. Hey, you know, I learned a lot from being an athlete um, and now I'm going to apply that in different ways or whatever your particular circumstances are. You can you there's always some lessons and things that you can take with you to the next thing you do that will allow you to like really continue the progress. Like I think a lot of times when people, one of the uh, misconceptions is that, you know, if you go to a new thing that you lose all the benefit, like, you know, oh, he's not going to be a football player anymore. So now he's lost all that kind of progress he made, but not really. I mean, he learned a lot of things along the way. I mean, he went into something that was at least athletic. You know, we don't, we don't usually, leave the quote unquote battlefield of, you know, of a failure with nothing. 
um, you know, usually there's some pretty valuable lessons if we if we choose to to take them to heart. Yeah, I. So I'm I'm feeling like, you know, we we don't have the same dream every night, but when it comes to a life dream, we often fixate on one thing. So it's just remembering like dreams can change. There can be lots of different ones, and it's a question of which one you want to pursue. So he he just you know a lot of people would have shut down when that first dream fell apart, but he just went and had another one and there's, you know, you're still you in the next dream. So there's that, there's that connection, like thinking back to your, uh, the professor's class who, you know, the one who wouldn't, wouldn't let you ask questions like it, it builds. So it's like, you know, the, the football wasn't directly related to wrestling, but there's a connection to it. There's a building off of it. And, you know, he's still the same person. You take the lessons forward, move on to the next one. I, I would say a lot of it does. It comes down to just attitude and flexibility. So obviously, like, this is as much as we've talked together other than some of the emails you've responded to me on through a social jukebox. But I get the feeling you're kind of maybe not Zen, but a pretty chill guy. Is that is that a fair statement? Do you think that's a piece of how you've been able to roll with it? Um, I mean, I definitely have a fiery side, but I try to save that for the last resort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would say that... <sighs> I'm just trying to pick apart, like, what, how do you not crumble or how do you not get stuck on the original path, you know, with the book, for example, or because a lot of people do, you know, same thing for The Rock is like, how did he not, you know, give in to the, uh, the injury and like, well, that's the end. Now what am I going to do? You know, I, I would say part of it's being somewhat like chilled, but I, I want, I really want to say that I, I, think a lot of it is just not to take yourself too seriously um, in the sense that, I mean, cause I think that actually, I mean, that was a bit of a lesson from the first failure. You know I mean? I really thought I was hot stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I would say that every time I've let my mind get what I would say infected with the idea that I'm somehow you know, special, better than, et cetera. Um, and that, you know, my idea will prevail. And I mean, I actually, I just did a video on this today, like talking about like, like people like being honest with you and sharing their opinion with you, but, you know, having friends that are honest, you know, re it really required, I mean, the benefit of that requires two things. One is having the people who actually will be candid with you. But the second piece is actually being willing to, and being open to hearing it. Um, and so with regard to this kind of being willing to pick yourself up and move on, um, it's, I guess, you know, sort of having the humility to realize that you were wrong, um, but then balancing the humility, you know, you don't have to be a wimp. Um, you can say, Hey, you know, that sucked, but what, am, what can I take from this that I can use to go forward? Um, and I'm not saying, you know, I think sometimes when people see it in a movie, like <laughs> they imagine that they need to get over things like super quickly. But, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of negative things that can befall you. And, you you know, you're not required to get over them before the next scene. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it's not a movie. Yeah. You, know, you are you are allowed to, you know, have a, like a little momentary crumble and a, and a good cry if that's what you need. But then just like say, okay, you know, I'm going to, th this happened and, I, and I'm going to like regroup 
and think about, you know, like what went wrong. Um, but yeah, so anyhow, I think it's a lot of it is just not building things into being too serious. Cause I, I think that that's part of that, like falling into kind of a negativity trap where you, you build the failure into more than what it is. It, and the, and it's two sides of the same coin where, you know, the, that problem is the opposite side of the problem that forced me into bankruptcy, you know, because that was not a negative overstep. It was a positive overstep. I, I thought I was too good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but if you realize that very often you're not, you're never probably as dumb as you think you are. And you're never probably quite as smart as you think you are. You're somewhere in the middle. Yeah. It's balance and, and maybe curiosity and openness. Sure. Yeah. Tim, uh, this, this is, uh, this is great stuff. I, um, I definitely want people to know where to follow you. Cause there's, you know, that's, that's like a, a part of my daily routine is taken in your content. So I, I strongly believe everyone should do the same. It's pretty inspirational. So what's the way that people can see what you're doing? Um, I'm definitely on Twitter all the time. And my handle there is at Tim underscore Fargo, F-A-R-G-O. Um, and I've actually really just started pushing my YouTube channel. And if you just put in Tim Fargo, um, quotes, you'll undoubtedly on YouTube, you'll come up with my channel. Um, and I can share uh, a link for that to you as well. Cause I, it, it's actually just like YouTube and then my name. Yeah. Um, I will definitely so, put in the show notes for everyone. Um, and if anyone ever has a question, I mean, either about what we've talked about or about social jukebox, which I encourage you guys to try, um, cause you get a 14 day free trial to poke around and have a look. Um, that's socialjukebox.com. And if you want to ask me a question, it, I, my email is Tim at socialjukebox.com and you will get a response from me. It won't be a, a VA or anything like that. You'll get a response from me. Yeah. I, I don't know if you remember the first time I reached out to you, you may not be putting two and two together, but, uh, I was like all giddy. I think I said, I can't believe you're the one writing back to me. Um, I was just very excited by that. Uh, it really is you, you are super responsive and extremely helpful, which is great. And it's a great tool. I think, um, not that this is a, a commercial podcast or anything, but I know of some others that, you know, some people that I know work with and, um, it's interesting to me the struggles that they have. And I'm like, just use social jukebox. It's way easier. Works really well. Um, so I've been, I've been a big fan and I get similar feedback from people about like, do you ever sleep? How are you constantly posting? You know, how are you coming up with all the different content? And I was like, you know, I spent a couple hours one day to add some of my content together. And since then it's like every now and then I'll add something just to keep it fresh. But I have you to thank for that. So thank you for turning your personal tool out to the world because it's definitely made my life a lot easier. My pleasure. And I mean, when it comes to the support thing, I'm a really demanding customer. So I, I guess I try to do what would satisfy me. And for 99.9% of people, that's usually good enough. So <laughs> cool. Um, well, Tim, thank you again for agreeing to do the show. And, um, you cool to help me close things out? I am. All right. Today is a new day. So go out and do it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tim. Thank you, Brian. Ah, Tim's a pretty cool guy. I um, 
I, I, I learned a lot from talking to him, not just in this episode, but in the lead up to it. And I have to say, I am kind of surprised, um, given what he went through. I mean, there's two pretty strong extremes, like, you know, bankruptcy and kind of having everything crash down and the humility lesson that came from that. But then also the extreme success of what he did with his investigation business and selling that for millions of dollars. And, you know, he didn't have to do anything after that. You would think he's he would be um, maybe have a bit less humility and be a bit more extreme of a personality. And I know humility is part of his story, and that's that's his point. I, but I think that there's something we didn't get into here about holding that humility, holding on to it, and not letting this extreme success redefine himself. Because a lot of people, I think, actually might just go back to the way they were pre-bankruptcy and like, well, actually, see, it is okay for me to be that way because I am super successful and I will make a ton of money so I can start spending like crazy again and I can get ahead of all that. And it's it's just, uh, I think it's a really powerful lesson in the need to latch on to the right kind of lessons and learnings from those tough moments. And Tim did just that. And, you know, he says he's got a fiery side, but I find someone who's very balanced. I'm sure he does in certain moments and all that, but that's a guy who's been through it and has found the balance in it. And um, I actually think the way he goes about his customer service is a sign of that too, because he, he stays involved, he stays engaged and he's responsive. And I just don't think if you're too high on yourself that you would do that. Um, so really cool example of the highs and lows we go through in life, the lessons we can learn from those things and how to piece them together into a cohesive self. I'm thankful for Tim for his time today and for you, for your time, for listening. And if I could ask for just a little bit more, I know I ask for this so often, but it's important. Do subscribe to the show. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, leave a review. I really do want to hear it. And one thing I don't tend to ask for is if you have someone that you're aware of that you think would make a great guest, by all means, reach out to me and let me know. Whether you just want to share a name or you have a connection that you want to share, I'd love to hear about it. I want to know who my listeners think would be inspirational people to help them pull their lives together. And guess what? You're a listener, so your opinion matters. Otherwise, you can always learn more about me at brianfalchuk.com. You can learn more about Do A Day at doadaybook.com. You can get the book. You can get the big goal exercise that I talk about so often. Um, doadaybook.com slash the exercise. And just hear more about what's going on and see if you can take some inspiration from it. And of course, get the other episodes. The best way to do that is subscribing. But you can also get them at doadaybook.com if you just click on the podcast button. Thank you so much, everyone, for your time today. It means the world to me that you listen because that means to me that you may be taking some inspiration to help change your life. That's the whole purpose. Thanks and have a great day. Today is a new day. Go out and do it.